Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Well, we have the Horowitz Report. For for over a year now, uh, people on the right in particular have been treating everybody in politics these days wants a silver bullet. Let, let me let me start at that premise. Everyone in politics wants a silver bullet to take out the other side. Instead of debating the other side, coming up with pol- public policy, uh, trying to persuade voters um, across the board. I'm trying not to use the word holistically. Uh, it's such a pretentious word, but it, trying to persuade voters across the political aisle that they're right on on issues, building a platform around which uh, people can rally. Instead, both sides are trying to find silver bullets. Uh, during the Obama era, Republicans constantly tried to find that one silver bullet often named John Roberts, who was going to take out Obamacare, or there was going to be a magical, mysterious birth certificate that would undermine Barack Obama's claims to the presidency, or uh, there was going to be some scandal somewhere, never mind that the press was protecting him, and on and on it went. And, And then the Democrats did the exact same thing with Donald Trump. Uh, Mueller was going to to uh, be the silver bullet. Adam Schiff was going to be the silver bullet. Impeachment was going to be the silver bullet. Uh, Anonymous was going to be the silver bullet. Hey, there was going to be that one thing, just that one thing that was going to wipe out Donald Trump. Silver bullets are as mythological as werewolves. I mean, you can make a silver bullet, but it's not going to take out your bad guy. Uh, it's not going to take out your werewolf and it, it just, it, the whole thing has been silly. Well, the, the right has in the, its own fever swamps over the last couple of years. Uh, I, I can't tell you the number of friends of mine who've said, Oh, the Horowitz report, the Horowitz report, the Horowitz report. I, I have had friends who have become detailed experts on what the Horowitz report was going to contain before the Horowitz report ever came out before the inspector general ever released his report. I had friends who could tell you detailed stuff and inconceivably within 10 minutes of the Horowitz report being released, it was over 400 pages long and, and friends of mine had had their detailed diagnostic of exactly what it said and how everything the Democrats had ever alleged was ever wrong. Well, there's a lot for both sides to cherry pick out of it. Uh, overall, what we have is a report that should in fact be troubling to both sides of the aisle. Uh, there are a lot of conspiracy theories debunked by the DOJ report, and there are a lot of things that people should be troubled by about the FBI's behavior. Um, it, it, it's I don't trust, though, a number of the reporters out there who are covering it any more than I trust uh, partisans who are covering it. I mean, for example, I think some of the political reporters... Uh, have been deeply, deeply troubling uh, in how they have approached the uh, situation with the uh, everything related to the president and national security. And I, I think that it, that is a fair statement. I think that reporters and number of media outlets could do a much better job. And I bring up the Politico, though, because I do actually think that there has been some pretty good coverage at Politico on the Horowitz Report and what it said or did not say, how it covered things, and what it did. In fact, uh, while there's a lot of debunking of the Horowitz Report by uh, the—or a lot of debunking of of right-wing mythology— 
by the by the press and the Horowitz report, uh, there is in fact deeply troubling uh, data within the Horowitz report related to the behavior of the FBI. This is not a report that the Democrats should be rallying around as proof of how terrible the president is. They can say it, it debunks right-wing claims because it does. There are a number of right-wing claims uh, that are debunked uh, in this. Uh, several things the president has claimed, in, including that the Obama campaign tried to embed someone within his campaign, uh, thoroughly debunked by Horowitz. So a lot of stuff on the FICE application, Christopher Steele debunked. But there's some serious trouble for the FBI. I mean, let me before I get into even how the the mainstream media is covering this, not exactly fans of the uh, Trump administration. Let me give you some of the detailed uh, reporting from Josh Gerstein at the Politico, who I think actually does a, a far better um, effort at covering the broad scopes of this report than some of his colleagues at Politico who have been so emotionally invested in getting the president. They, they're they just giddy that some of the president's uh, claims have been debunked and, and they're not paying attention to some of the underlining, uh, underlying seriousness of what the inspector general found. Uh, so let me read you these couple of paragraphs here. A highly anticipated Justice Department review of the origins of the federal investigation into potential collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia found no direct evidence of political bias in launching the probe, but identified an embarrassing slew of inaccuracies and omissions by the FBI that marred requests for court-ordered surveillance of a former Trump campaign advisor. The report from the Inspector General Michael Horowitz found also revealed for the first time the FBI used a confidential source to approach an unidentified high-level Trump campaign official in September 2016 who was never the subject of the investigation. The approach revealed nothing of value to the probe. Horowitz's review did not find any indication the FBI planted anyone in the campaign, as President Trump claimed. But it did, does bolster that campaign officials were repeatedly the focus of outreach by confidential human sources seeking to establish whether the campaign was colluding with Russia. The report finds those tactics complied with existing FBI policy, but the review contains withering criticism of the preeminent law enforcement agency for basic, fundamental, and serious errors handling the surveillance application for Carter Page. We are deeply concerned that so many basic and fundamental errors were made by three separate, hand-picked investigative teams on one of the most sensitive FBI investigations. After the matter had been briefed to the highest levels within the FBI, even though the information sought through the use of FISA authority related so closely to an ongoing presidential campaign, and even though those involved with the investigation knew that their actions were likely to be subject to close scrutiny, we believe the circumstances or circumstance reflects a failure not just but by those who prepared the FISA applications, but also by the managers and supervisors in the crossfire hurricane chain of command, including FBI senior officials who were briefed as the investigation progressed. The attorney general is endorsing the inspector general's critique of the FBI handling of the surveillance process, but uh, he does say that uh, Horowitz is missing data on the predicate to launch the investigation. There is now a separate investigation. If you'll recall, uh, Bill Barr, the attorney general, has appointed a highly respected U.S. attorney from Connecticut, John Durham, 
to be a federal prosecutor to investigate other aspects of how the Russia probe began. Where did it begin? And John Durham is signaling, this is his statement. And again, Democrats and Republicans alike uh, respect John Durham. And he says our investigation has included developing information from other persons and entities, both in the U.S. and out of the U.S., based on the evidence collected to date. And while our investigation is ongoing, last month we advised the inspector general we do not agree with some of the report's conclusions as to predication and how the FBI case was opened. That is pretty significant coming from John Durham. Here's the problem, though, is... Trump supporters are now moving their goalposts. They, they had they had planted their flag on a host of claims that have now been debunked by the inspector general. And so now they picked up the goalposts and they're moving to say, hey, pay no attention to all those stuff. Look, John Durham is still doing an investigation. Now we got to wait for Durham. It was always wait for Horowitz, wait for Horowitz, wait for Horowitz. Even in the run up to the report yesterday, a lot of conservatives are saying, today Horowitz is going to come out and undermine all the claims of the Democrats and everything they've made and show that the this was a partisan affair. Well, in some cases he did, and in some cases he showed FBI agents behaving very badly. Uh, but he showed that they did not use the Steele dossier to open the Russia probe. He showed Peter Strzok and Lisa Page were not decision makers. He showed uh, Carter Page was the only Trump official under a FISA surveillance. Uh, the first Carter Page uh, FISA did contain uh, inaccuracies and omissions. Steele did, was dropped as an FBI source. He had a prior relationship with Ivanka Trump. And it turns out uh, Paul Manafort was under investigation prior to scrutiny in the Russia probe. Those are the things they found. Horowitz faulted investigators for, this is from a, a different um, Politico story. Horowitz faulted investigators for various aspects of their use of the so-called Steele dossier, including relying too heavily on it for warrants for surveillance applications when concerns had been raised about its validity and its source of funding. But Horowitz refuted the claims propagated by Trump that the Russia investigation had its roots in the dossier. The FBI began its investigation at the end of July 2016 based on a tip it received days before about a Trump campaign advisor, George Papadopoulos, from a foreign ally. Uh, that would be the Australian ambassador, if you recall, and that's part of the Durham investigation now, apparently. While Steele's reporting for what became the dossier began prior to the opening of the Russia probe, Horowitz found that the team of investigators at the FBI did not become aware of Steele's reporting until weeks after the investigation began and concluded the dossier played no role in the opening. Neither did Lisa Page nor Peter Strzok. It turns out that there was never a wiretap of uh, Trump Tower or the Trump campaign. The FBI did not plant spies in the Trump campaign. And there was uh, Joseph Mifsud was not a, an FBI informant. Uh, one of the theories put out by some people close to the Trump campaign was that there's a professor named Joseph Mifsud. He's a Russian proxy who informed Trump campaign aide George Papadopoulos about the Kremlin dirt. Uh, the interaction uh, set off a series of events that began the Russia probe. It turns out that uh, the guy was not in league with the FBI. Those are some of the claims sorted. But uh, the Democrats are seizing on all of those debunked claims and they're ignoring a lot of the behavior of the FBI that we should be troubled about when it comes to civil rights and how they conduct investigations. Uh, here's Jake Tapper from CNN. But the report, of course, also outlines some very significant errors made by uh, FBI officials. 
That's right. There were 17 total uh, instances in which there were substantial uh, inaccuracies or omissions that were left out of these uh, FISA uh, applications. These are uh, surveillance warrants that were, that were targeting Carter Page, who, uh, as we mentioned, was a, uh, an advisor for the campaign. Uh, according to Horowitz, there were 17 such instances in which things were left out or just was just plainly inaccurate. And these were four different warrants, uh, Jake, that were that were uh, got approval from a court. And in each case, uh, the FBI simply failed to update the information for, for the judges that were reviewing these warrants. Failed to update information. Here's James Comey. Do you think Ray had that in mind today when he acknowledged the mistakes, talked about taking 30 steps to fix a FISA program, which also in the report appears to have some serious, serious weaknesses? I think so. I mean, the report found lots of mistakes. That's really significant, really unfortunate, but that's why you do IG reports. And so that's good that he's jumped on that. And here is what Ray said, Christopher Ray, the FBI director. What's the biggest takeaway and the most important takeaway from the report for you? Well, I think there's a number of takeaways that are important. One, that we fully cooperated with the, this independent review. Two, that we fully accept its findings and recommendations. Uh, three, that the inspector general did not find political bias or improper motivations impacting the opening of the investigation or the decision to use certain investigative tools during the investigations. Including FISA? Including FISA. But that the inspector general did find uh, a number of instances where employees uh, either failed to follow our policies, neglected to exercise appropriate diligence, or in some other way fell short of the standard of conduct and performance that we and that I as director expect of all of our employees. But again, we are and I am ordering 40, over 40 corrective actions to address all of those things uh, in a way that's robust and serious. Uh, and we're determined to learn the lessons from this report and make sure the FBI emerges from this even better and stronger. They're going to need to. Uh, the FBI has undermined its own credibility on the right because of its handling of this. And now the inspector general has come out, and you've got mainstream media sources pointing out they really did screw up a lot. Pete Williams is on on NBC and MSNBC, one of the, the best reporters in the business when it comes to this stuff. Uh, he genuinely is a well-respected reporter on the right and the left. Listen to what Pete Williams says in his summation of the IG report. What it says is the FBI basically repeatedly screwed up at every level, failing to pay enough attention to potential problems with Steele, failing to tell the Justice Department. And it says at one point that the FBI decided to seek this FISA warrant, even at the risk of being criticized for doing it later, because the report says FBI officials they ha said they had to get to the bottom of a potentially serious threat to national security. But the Inspector General report says the FISA application was, in many ways, inaccurate, incomplete, or unsupported. Uh, it says, for example, that the FBI failed to look at uh, some of the problems in Steele's past work, that that was never sufficiently addressed. A lot of what Republicans claimed would come out in the Horowitz report did not come out. Many of their theories were debunked by Horowitz. But their underlying presupposition turned out to be right. And I think that's significant. The underlying presupposition is that uh, the Steele dossier prepared by Democratic partisans to undermine President Trump was used by the FBI 
was discredited. The FBI agents did not update the court as to how it had been discredited, even if after they stopped relying on it and Christopher Steele. And uh, there was a polluting of Democratic thought processes, Democrat Party, Democratic Party thought processes within the FBI. There were partisans there who were moving fast to undermine the president. Part of that was uh, they really did believe the president was a Russian agent. Part of that was they were moving fast. Part of that was they were working through multiple different groups and multiple different channels, and they weren't talking to each other. But there's something else here, too, uh, and something we need to be concerned about overall, and and that is uh, the behavior of everyone when it comes to pointing fingers at the FBI and the FBI pointing fingers to everyone else. Who do you believe and who do you trust now? Looks like the Horowitz Report has a lot for everybody to digest. Happening now, the Democrats are announcing the impeachment of the president. Let me reroute my audio here so we can hear the Speaker of the House making history. I recall that the first order of business for members of Congress is the solemn act to take an oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. There's great respect and gratitude uh, that I thank uh, the chairs of the committees, the six committees who have been working to help us honor our oath of office. I also want to thank the staff of those committees and the committee members uh, for all of their work over this period of time to help us protect and defend. I want to thank the Chairman of the Judiciary Committee, Mr. Nadler, Chair of the Intelligence Committee, Mr. Schiff, uh, Chair of the Ways and Means Committee, Chairman, all of these chairmen, uh, Chairman Richie Neal of Massachusetts, the Chair of the Foreign Affairs Committee. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, okay. She's going to go through all the thinking in, in process. This happened a, a short time ago, it does appear, and uh, they essentially, there are going to be no uh, questions for Adam Schiff, and they are going to go forward with two articles of impeachment. Uh, let's see if I can pull up the Adam Schiff audio here. Thank yeah. You, Chairman. Thank you, Madam Speaker, and to my colleagues, good morning. The framers of the Constitution recognized that someday a president might come to office who would abuse that office, betray the public trust, and undermine national security to secure foreign help in his reelection and who would seek to abrogate the power of Congress to hold him accountable. They recognized this danger, and they prescribed a remedy, and that remedy is impeachment. It is an extraordinary remedy, and one that I've been reluctant to recommend until the actions of President Trump gave Congress no alternative. We stand here today because the President's continuing abuse of his power has left us no choice. To do nothing would make ourselves complicit in the president's abuse of his high office, the public trust, and our national security. The president's misconduct is as simple and as terrible as this. President Trump solicited a foreign uh, Well, we'll get into more of this when we come back. But needless to say, the Democrats have decided to impeach the president. Two articles of impeachment, bribery is not one of them, contrary to the talking points and claims of the Democrats, and nothing about the concentration camps. I thought they were serious about that one. We'll get into this when we come back. 
I got to say, it it really is remarkable that after months of telling us the president was running concentration camps, uh, the Democrats have not included that in their articles of impeachment. Uh, Peter Dow is a, uh, I mean, he is in the Hillary Clinton cult. I mean, this guy is, is absurdly partisan in favor of Hillary Clinton more than anyone else. Uh, let, me, let me read you this tweet. Uh, Torturing children, no impeachment. Inciting anti-media violence, no impeachment. Stoking Nazi terrorism, no impeachment. Entire Mueller report, no impeachment. Violating emoluments clause, no impeachment. Threatening political opponents, no impeachment. Shame on you, dim leaders. <laughs> Someone clearly believed the talking points. Uh, never believe the talking points, people on either side. Never believe the talking points. Think for yourself. All right. Uh, Jerry Nadler and Adam Schiff have spoken. They're, they're coming out with their... Uh, article of impeachment. Let's listen first to Jerry Nath. Judiciary Committee, Mr. Nathan. Thank you, Madam Speaker. Over the last several months, the investigative committees of the House have been engaged in an impeachment inquiry into President Donald Trump's efforts to solicit foreign interference in the 2020 elections. Efforts that compromised our national security and threatened the integrity of our elections. Throughout this inquiry, he has attempted to conceal the evidence from Congress and from the American people. Our president holds the ultimate public trust. When he betrays that trust and puts himself before country, he endangers the Constitution, he endangers our democracy, and he endangers our national security. The framers of the Constitution prescribed a clear remedy for presidents who so violate their oath of office. That is the power of impeachment. Today, in service to our duty to the Constitution and to our country, the House Committee on the Judiciary is introducing two articles of impeachment charging the President of the United States, Donald J. Trump, with committing high crimes and misdemeanors. The first article is for abuse of power. It is an impeachable offense for the president to exercise the powers of his public office to obtain an improper personal benefit while ignoring or in injuring the national interest. That is exactly what President Trump did when he solicited and pressured Ukraine to interfere in our 2020 presidential election thus damaging our national security, undermining the integrity of the next election, and violating his oath to the American people. These actions, moreover, are consistent with President Trump's previous invitations of foreign interference in our 2016 presidential election. Notice perpetuating the mythology that the president had something to do with Russia. Here, here's Adam Schiff as well. Uh, with, with some of his claims. To act with such urgency today. Let me fast forward here. The evidence of the president's misconduct is overwhelming and uncontested. And how could it not be when the president's own words on July 25th, I would like you to do us a favor though, lay so bare his intentions, his willingness to sacrifice the national security for his own personal interests. And when the president got caught, he committed his second impeachable act, 
obstruction of Congress of the very ability to make sure that no one is above the law, not even the President of the United States. The evidence is every bit as strong that President Trump has obstructed Congress fully without precedent and without basis in law. If allowed to stand, it would decimate Congress's ability to conduct oversight of this president or any other in the future, leaving this president and those who follow to be free to be as corrupt, malfeasant, or incompetent as they would like with no prospect of discovery or accountability. Now, some would argue, why don't you just wait? Why don't you just wait until you get these witnesses the White House refuses to produce? Why don't you just wait until you get the documents the White House refuses to turn over? And people should understand what that argument really means. It has taken us eight months to get a lower court ruling that Don McGahn has no absolute right to defy Congress. Eight months for one court decision. If it takes us another eight months to get a second court or maybe a Supreme Court decision, people need to understand that is not the end of the process. It comes back to us and we ask questions because he no longer has absolute immunity and then he claims something else, that his answers are privileged and we have to go to back to court for another eight or 16 months. The argument, why don't you just wait, amounts to this. Why don't you just let him cheat in one more election? Why not let him cheat just one more time? Why not let him have foreign help just one more time? You know, I, I need to stop this there and point out, uh, we have the Mueller report. Didn't happen. That didn't happen. They're impeaching the president over mythology. That's what's going on here. They're impeaching the president over a mythology. The president of the United States has done what? He asked Ukraine to look into the CrowdStrike stuff from 2016 and to check out the Biden allegations that he believed had been dropped for political influence. The... Ukrainians did none of that. The president got no help. He got no help from the Russians in 2016. The Russians just tried to undermine the election generally. And yet here is the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee claiming that the president cheated in 2016. That's what this is about. That's what this is about. The Democrats are still mad about the 2016 election. They're not mad about the president's behavior. They're not mad about the Ukraine phone call. They're not mad about the, what the president said in office. They're mad that he won. Schiff has just given the game away. That's really profound that the Democrats are essentially, they really are. Listen, uh, I would much prefer a President Pence to a President Trump. I, I'm not opposed to if they find something impeaching the president. But what Adam Schiff is saying here is, is he just wants to undermine the election from 2016. He, he calls in a doubt. He believes the Russians sold for the president. And I'm sorry, that that's stealing the election. 
that's taking the election away from the American people who who did an election. There's no evidence that the Russians were ever able to steal the election. There's no evidence that, that their money on Facebook was able to actually persuade people to change their votes. There's no evidence they hacked election machines and stole votes. What there is is a candidate on the Democratic side who sucked as a candidate, didn't go to three key swing states that she should have gone to, and she lost them, and President Trump won. Now, you can dislike the president. I don't particularly care for the guy on a lot of stuff. But for Adam Schiff to come out and say the president cheated in 2016, the Mueller report actually debunked that. The Mueller report said it's not true. The Mueller report said there was no indication of the Russians colluding with the Trump campaign. The Horowitz report came out yesterday and said the same thing, that the Trump team and the Russians were not collaborating together. And yet the Democrats now are rushing out of the gate to impeach the president of the United States. They have failed to make a bipartisan effort to do so. They haven't convinced any Republicans to come on board. And now they're saying this is about 2016. It's not about, it's not about Ukraine. It's about 2016. It's about believing the president cheated. I don't think the president should have done what he did with Ukraine. I think it was wrong. But then I think tariffs are wrong. I think the president's behavior online is wrong. I think a lot of the president's angry tweets are wrong. But just because something is wrong does not mean it's impeachable. We've lost the ability to nuance and distinguish in the country. Wrong does not mean impeachable. Uh, it means I disagree with him. I, I think it was bad. I think he should have done something else. But wrong is not impeachable. And what the Democrats are saying here is essentially they don't like the president's behavior and they don't like what the president has done in Ukraine, and they think that the president cheated and uh, in 2016, and they want to stop him from cheating in 2020. They, they think he cheated. For one court decision. If it takes us another eight months to get a second court or maybe a Supreme Court decision, people need to understand that is not the end of the process. It comes back to us and we ask questions because he no longer has absolute immunity and then he claims something else that his answers are privileged and we have to go to back to court for another eight or 16 months. The argument why don't you just wait amounts to this. Why don't you just let him cheat in one more election? Why not let him cheat just one more time? Why not let him have foreign help just one more time. All of that was debunked by the Mueller report. Do we need to read back through the Mueller report? Do we need to? Because it's there in the Mueller report that the campaign did not get foreign help from the Russians. It's there in the Mueller report that what the Democrats have claimed wasn't true. It's there in the Mueller report that the Russians wanted to systematically undermine our election and have each other in the United States at each other's throat. They've succeeded beyond their wildest dreams in that. But the president didn't cheat. Hillary Clinton sucked.
There's a difference. And the Democrats don't seem to understand it. And that is deeply problematic for where we head as a country next. Honest news and conservative views. Never separated from the truth. It's the Eric Erickson Show. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I feel like uh, given what has happened in Washington today with the uh, with the impeachment uh we we should use this cnn montage Good afternoon and with that gavel coming down i'm jake tapper in washington and you're watching special coverage of this historic day this is a historic day here in the nation's capital it will be a busy and historic day ahead you're watching cnn special live coverage of what can only be described as an historic day this is turning out to be a historic day a very important day and another very very important and historic day a very historic and important Another historic day here in Washington, historic day here in the nation's capital. Chris, this is going to be another historic day here in Washington. At the end of a long and certainly historic day. A truly historic day. It was a historic day on Capitol Hill. A historic day with millions watching. A historic day. Historic day on this historic day. We're just getting started on this important historic day. All right, it is a historic day on Capitol Hill. <laughs> historic day on capitol hill impeachment of the president of the united states they have a problem though uh americans are not sold uh, independents are not sold uh, republicans are not sold there's no bipartisanship uh here's mercedes schlapp uh, who worked at the white house on uh with laura ingram last night before the articles came but we knew the articles were coming here we go These the democrats really can't see how this is all helping Trump. But I can tell you, all the messages I was getting from friends and associates across the country, people are giddy. They just think the Democrats are out of gas. Oh, there's no question. And what I like when you see those media pieces, for example, and they start saying the dark hour, they've been talking about the White House in crisis since the president became president. It's the crisis. And really, it's a Democrat party and the media that's in crisis. The Democrats were trying and praying that they could sell this narrative of impeachment, Laura. They have failed dramatically. The American people, especially in these targeted states, we've seen these polls are basically saying, wait a second, let's get these policy issues resolved. Let's get USMCA passed, which yeah. impacts states like Pennsylvania, impacts states like Wisconsin and Michigan, as opposed to uh, what we're seeing right now, which is that they're not buying it. Once these hearings came or came out publicly, they're falling it, it, flat. It, it fell flat. VDH. So what there you go. Uh, it all fell flat. The, the Democrats haven't been able to make a case on impeachment to the American people. This So I can't emphasize this part enough. Republicans were able to get a bipartisan impeachment against Bill Clinton. Democrats haven't been able to do that with Donald Trump. Now, why? Democrats are convinced that nothing they say or do would persuade Republicans. But behind the scenes, they know that's not true. The, the public facade of this, so much of this is public facade. So here's the thing. Uh, if the Democrats lose in 2020 to Donald Trump, the media narrative is going to be impeachment hurt the Democrats. If Democrats win in 2020, the media narrative will be that actually impeachment was genius and it helped uh, galvanize the American public against Donald Trump. Uh, they will write the narrative based uh, on impeachment based on what happens in November of next year. 
then the Democrats will spin and the media will gladly accept the spin from the Democrats on this. But Republicans were able to make a bipartisan case against Bill Clinton. Democrats can't make a bipartisan case right now. And, and the big galvanizing issue here is that the, the Democrats have not offered the Republicans anything. They haven't been willing to accept any of the Republican witnesses. They haven't been able to accept any of the Republican claims. They, they haven't been willing to go through the motions to try to even build a bipartisan case because this is all about galvanizing the Democratic base. It's not actually about impeaching the president. They don't have the votes in the Senate to impeach the president. And so the Republicans are left to conclude, honestly conclude, that this has never really been about throwing the president out of office. This has been about mobilizing the Democratic base for next year. It looks like this is electioneering, not constitutional. It looks like this is about the election, not the impeachment. It looks like the Democrats are so convinced uh, that they've got to do everything to get the president. See, they've been saying we got to impeach the president in order to win in 2020. It has nothing to do with actually throwing him out of office. It has to do with galvanizing the Democratic base, fundraising off the Democratic base, doing all of these things. It, it, it's not going to work. Publicly, the Democrats say there's nothing they could do to persuade Republicans to come along with them. Privately, they know that's not true. Privately, they know there are about two dozen Republicans leaving Congress. Half of them don't like the president, the ones who are retiring. All they needed was for the Democrats to throw them a bone, and they would have come up with something. Will Hurd from South Texas doesn't like the president, but he needed more than what the Democrats were willing to offer, and they didn't want to go there. Adam Schiff saying they would have to fight this out in court. Yeah, they'd have to fight it out in court. They'd have to get those witnesses. But so they didn't do their due diligence in this impeachment. And so now what's going to happen, very interestingly, is they will go to the Senate. And what they want is a trial in the Senate. They want a spectacle in the United States Senate. And what the Democrats are really hoping is that in the United States Senate, uh, there will be enough evidence on display that they can undermine the president. And that is problematic. I think, I think that the Democrats will be sending out fundraising this afternoon. In fact, I'm sure the Democrats will be sending out fundraising efforts this afternoon, but so will the president. The president has a rally plan tonight uh, in Pennsylvania. Key location, is it not? Pennsylvania. Uh, he will go to Pennsylvania. He will meet privately this afternoon with the Russian foreign minister of the White House. He will then fly to Pennsylvania for a rally. You know the rally will be on Fox News. And by the way, there's interesting data out on Fox News that plays into this. Turns out that in 299 of the 400 uh, some odd congressional districts out there, Fox News is the most watched news network. I want to spend a little time on this later, but it's deeply, deeply relevant to impeachment as everybody fixates. In seventy, nearly 70% of congressional districts, Fox News is the most watched news outlet. In 70% of congressional districts. People, this is from Joanna Piacenza at uh, Morning Consult. 
People tend to seek out news that reinforces their own ideologies, and a news analysis of more than one million responses gathered over the past year suggests the country's much hungrier for red meat. Morning consult data from 1,124,368 responses gathered November 1, 2018 through October 31, 2019 provides a unique look at weekly viewership of CNN, Fox News, and MSNBC among Democrats, Independents, and Republicans in every U.S. congressional district and reveals the awesome reach of one outlet in particular Fox News. It is the most watched cable news outlet in 299 of the 436 districts by a margin of two percentage points. The conservative-leading cable giant, which launched in 1996, has led cable in total day viewers for the last 40 months, according to Nielsen. Residents in 63 districts watch nonpartisan CNN the most by the same margin, and left-leaning MSNBC is the most watched cable news channel in only one congressional district, California's second, a Democratic district that encompasses the state's coast north of San Francisco. That's going to matter. It's going to matter in how impeachment is shaped. It's going to matter in why the Democrats have not been able to build a bipartisan consensus. The the Democrats, and this is the key here, this is the important key, the Democrats have convinced themselves that they can't get a fair hearing on Fox despite the Fox News day part being very balanced and very fair. They haven't even tried to make a bipartisan case. They're going to fundraise off of it, and it's going to undermine them in the coming year. Really incredible to watch this play out. It's time for me to tell you about my favorite toothbrush. Uh, holiday season is approaching and you can get the Quip. The Quip is actually, it's a great stocking stuffer. It's a great toothbrush. You know, I had one of those $100 Sonic vibrating toothbrushes and you had to take the charger with you. It, it was just, it was garbage. Uh, I didn't like it. The brush head was very small. You could not get the brush head on the toothbrush or the back of your mouth to actually clean uh, the, the back of your teeth. The Quip is designed by designers and dentists working together. You can totally tell. It's got sensitive Sonic vibrations and a timer with 30-second pulses to guide your routine. Uh, you got the Quip floss dispenser. It has pre-marked strings, so you can always use the right amount. Uh, you got the Quip sends you a new brush head every three months. They've got a great, 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 great toothbrush and now flossing as well. Just go to getquip.com slash Erickson to save on gift sets. Get your first brush head refill pack for free with a refill plan. So you get your first brush head refill for free at getquip.com. Quip.com slash Erickson. Getquip.com slash Erickson. It is a great toothbrush. It is the toothbrush that I have been using for multiple years. My wife and child use it as well. I really do recommend Quip. I really am a user, and I was before I started doing this commercial. That's why I really recommend it. Getquip.com. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program today, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. In the words of Wolf Blitzer at CNN, historic day, the Democrats have issued articles of impeachment against the president of of the United States in part because of the president's supposed cheating in the election in 2016, which of course he didn't actually do and, and the Mueller report thoroughly debunked. But to set the stage here before we take your phone calls, here's Adam Schiff announcing why they don't want to wait any further for further witnesses, why they don't want courts to get involved in authorizing witnesses to come. For one court decision. If it takes us another eight months to get a second court or maybe a Supreme Court decision, people need to understand that is not the end of the process. It comes back 
to us and we ask questions because he no longer has absolute immunity and then he claims something else that his answers are privileged and we have to go to back to court for another eight or 16 months. The argument, why don't you just wait, amounts to this. Why don't you just let him cheat in one more election? Why not let him cheat just one more time? Why not let him have foreign help just one more time? That is what that argument for Okay, so essentially the Mueller report said that the Trump campaign did not coordinate with the Russians in 2016. The Russians did want to disrupt the American electoral process, uh, but the Trump campaign did not coordinate with them. Here comes Adam Schiff saying, uh, why don't you just let him cheat one more election? Why not let him cheat one more time? Why not have foreign help just one more time? That that uh, presumes then that Adam Schiff believes President Trump did cheat in 2016 and did coordinate with the Russians, though the Mueller investigation is clear that he did not. The Russians certainly did want to undermine the election, and by the end of the election, certainly wanted to hurt Hillary Clinton and help Donald Trump, Uh, but there's no evidence the Russians rigged the election. There's no evidence they stole the election. There's no evidence that the Trump campaign coordinated with them. Uh, What there is evidence of is Hillary Clinton was a crummy candidate who didn't go to Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, like her husband told her to, uh, and lost herself the election. Had she gone to those states, she might have been able to pull it off. Uh, So essentially, the Democrats are admitting they are impeaching the president of the United States uh, for a mythology from 2016. That's that's why they're impeaching him. Doug Collins uh, was on with uh, Fox News here just a few moments ago. I grabbed the audio while we were in commercial break. Rather, that's the allegation. Number two, obstruction of Congress. He is not above the law, says Chairman Nadler. Back to Doug Collins. You were listening. And your reaction now, sir, on the Republican side. Well, it's, it's just amazing. I saw nothing. But it's very telling that they all walked off stage and didn't answer a question. That, to me, is really telling. Why would the Speaker of the House, you just announced articles of impeachment. You had your five committee chairs. You had Adam Schiff. You had Jerry Nadler. You had, and they wouldn't take questions? I mean, that tells me that they're really not inherently comfortable with what they're doing. And I think this is the problem that we have. Adam Schiff has heard his own voice for so long, he simply believes what he's saying without any evidence of truth or any evidence of of facts here. They simply want to get the clock in the calendar because they are so obsessed and so fearful that President Trump is going to win again next November that they don't even uh, perceive the problems that they have. It's very telling to me. Mueller didn't come up, neither did uh, the fact of the quid pro quo bribery all the focus group problems that they've had in the last little bit. They went with abuse of power, which they can define. What what does that tell you, sir? It tells me they have no case. It tells me that they tried everything they could, so they had to come up with the two amorphous things that they could come up with. One being, But they have the votes. Well, we've known that. That's not a shock, Bill. We've had that since November last year. We, I mean, again, I talked about it yesterday. Means, motive, and opportunity. The opportunity came when they won the, the election last November. This has been a foregone conclusion since November of last year. Don't make any mistake about that, that they were, as soon as they had the majority, they were going to do this. And they tried everything possible. We went from Whitaker. We went from Kavanaugh. We went to Mueller. Remember, my chairman who ran to be chairman saying, I'm the best to handle impeachment in November of last year. And these first two things, as he was called, overheard saying, I'm going to impeach the president and Kavanaugh. I mean, this is a man who is obsessed with not serving the public or defending his oath of office. He's obsessed with impeaching the president. And he drug everybody else with him. One more question here. Adam Schiff said we could go to No. 
We'll leave it there. That was that was Doug Collins. Uh, now to the phones, to the phones. Eight seven seven nine seven Eric. Eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. Jimmy, you're going to be up first. Welcome. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I had a quick question for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't understand why nobody on the Republican side, at least that I've not seen, have asked the Democrats. Why don't you want to find out if there's something going on with Biden? Well, uh, okay. you know, know, I'm glad you raised this issue, Jimmy. Did you know yesterday uh, Doug Collins, a congressman from here in Georgia, began that discussion on the art while the Democrats were arguing over articles of impeachment, raised that issue and ABC, CBS and NBC, all of which were covering the hearing live left and went to commercial break when Doug Collins began talking about Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. And the Democrats, of course, want nothing to do with uh, talking about the Bidens. I got to tell you, um, I really do think that Biden is the Democratic nominee at this point. Uh, The other Democrats are too divided, and this issue is going to come back to get him in 2020. Biden is having to come out now and say that uh, he he, Hunter Biden is going to do nothing uh, internationally while his dad is in the White House. And and how can his dad enforce that? I have no idea. Thanks very much for the phone call, Jimmy. In fact, here's the uh, PBS had a panel of reporters, not pundits, but the panel of reporters on PBS last night. Listen to this. Mika, I think, is on to something. Um, The Republicans have not yet been able to get to their arguments, but wait, it's coming after the break. The familiar refrains about the aid was actually delivered, that the President Obama, I'm sorry, that President Trump had a tougher policy than did President Obama hearsay and all the other arguments about corruption that have become become so familiar. I also think that while it may not have been illegal or even inappropriate perhaps for Hunter Biden to have been taking a monthly retainer from Burisma, I do think that sort of clouds the atmosphere of whether it was proper for President Trump to inquire about corruption. I think that is something that is sort of stuck out as I've sort of uh, talked to people outside of Washington and the rest, and it's a simple fact that people don't quite understand. I even heard Vice President Biden sort of struggling to answer that question in an interview on HBO last night. So that sort of hangs out there and I think makes things that much more difficult for the Democrats to make their case. It does make it more difficult for the Democrats to make their case. They're they're going to have a hard time. Uh, the Democratic Party out there is going to struggle to answer the questions about Joe Biden and Hunter Biden in large part because uh, Joe Biden himself has struggled about these things. Uh, this is uh, you, you heard the reporter on Axios or on uh, on PBS mentioned the Axios interview with Joe Biden. Uh, w- let me play you some of this audio from Joe Biden discussing with Mike Allen of Politico, uh, or I'm sorry, he used to be with Politico, I have Axios on HBO. Joe Biden discussing the Hunter Biden situation. He didn't handle it well. On your son, Hunter Biden, uh, President Trump says. Sweepy Joe has real problems. Reminds me of Crooked Hillary and her 33,000 deleted emails. A lot of the Ukraine charges about you have been debunked and were unfair. There's one thing that a lot of Democrats even do wonder about, and that is Hunter Biden, your son, was getting paid a lot of money 
to serve on the board of a Ukrainian energy company facing serious corruption charges. You were the vice president running point on Ukraine. The average Joe hears that and says, that sounds fishy. What's your understanding of what your son was doing for an extraordinary amount of money? I don't know what he was doing. I know he was on the board. I found out he was on the board after he was on the board. And that was it. And there's nobody... Well, you've had a lot of time. Isn't this something you want to get to the bottom of? No, because I trust my son. But that doesn't pass the smell test. Like, when you're vice president, isn't there a higher standard? Don't you need to know what's happening with your family? Don't you need to put down some guardrails? Unless there was something that was... uh, There was something on its face that was wrong. There's nothing on its face that was wrong. So Look, if you want to talk about problems, you know, let's talk about Trump's family. I mean, come on. This is... So <laughs> these so, guys are amazing. So you think that everything that happened was kosher? You know, there's not one single bit of evidence. Not one. Biden is pointing his this anything hand wrong. towards Mike Allen. You know that, but you keep asking me these questions. It's okay. He, you know, you're you're you know you're doing what you have to do, but I'm not worried about it. Look, the American public knows me. Last one on this. Uh, okay. Say you're elected, you're in office. What guardrails would you have to be sure that your son, your brother Jimmy, doesn't uh, do anything to trade on the family name? They will not be engaged in any foreign business because of what's happened in this administration. No one's going to be seeking patents for things Uh, from China. No one's going to be engaged in that kind of thing. So no foreign business for your relatives in office? That was Axios interviewing Joe Biden. Uh, Here's okay. I realize I will be accused of being a partisan when I say this, uh, despite, well, you know, I'm in the, in the fun position of hating them all these days. Uh, all of them, just politics has, has gotten gross, but can, can I just say, and I think I'm being objective here. Your mileage may vary. Objectively. I think Joe Biden has now had, what, three months? October, November, December? Really, September, October, November? He's had three full months minimum to prepare for this line of questioning. He's had three full months minimum to prepare for this line of questioning, and he can't do it he can't answer it he can't talk about it he can't engage with it without getting mad and i understand the protectiveness uh the 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 willingness to protect his son i i I get that particularly given um his son's battles with his own demons I, i get the protective nature of a dad wanting to protect his son but joe biden is running to be president of the united states and he can't answer questions about his son without getting defensive. And there's a reason for that you need to understand. It is because Americans intuitively understand that when a president has a son or when a vice president has a son who is getting wealthy off his dad's time in office, it reflects poorly on the father. And Biden, as vice president, had a son who was doing these things. And his son already gave an interview where he said he told his dad what was going on. And Joe Biden has said his aides did not tell him it was wrong. 
why do you need to be told that it's wrong? When, listen, if my son, I'm on radio statewide in Georgia. If my son were to go out to businesses in Georgia and try to recruit them as clients, if they had business before the legislature, and say, I'm not going to lobby for you. You put me on my on your payroll, and my dad's going to talk you up on the radio, and all the state legislature listens. That would be wrong. Now, my kid's just turned 11 yesterday, so it's not going to happen. Uh, but, but if he did, that would be wrong. If, if, I had a, if I had a child who went out and told businesses, put me on your payroll and I'm going to talk you up to my dad uh, so that you get favorable treatment by my dad because you're taking care of me, it may not be criminal, but it would be wrong. The Democrats are making a case that the president needs to be impeached largely because he did nothing criminal, but he did something wrong. He did something that was abusive in office. He did something that was an abusive office. He did something uh, that that no president should do and that any reasonable person should recognize no president should do, and that in so doing, he was securing for himself and his family personal gain. That's what Hunter Biden did. He didn't do anything criminal. There's no allegation that Hunter Biden did anything criminal. What he did is he traded on his father's name to enrich himself, and there are allegations, in fact, uh, that he talked up these companies that were paying him to his father to whether or not they actually got favorable treatment to attempt to get them favorable treatment. There's no evidence they got favorable treatment because they were paying Hunter Biden. But the Democrats want to impeach the president for doing abusive, unethical things that were not illegal. And they want to ignore the Joe Biden stuff. The president of the United States is not going to, to ignore this. And, and this, I think, is the thing. Just take this away from this conversation. The Democrats impeaching President Trump ensure that the Hunter Biden stuff is going to be a big issue next year on the campaign trail. And the fact that Joe Biden has had three months minimum to prepare for answers to the questions and can't do it without beginning combative does not bode well for the Democrats. If you weren't here uh, in the first hour, uh, I did say I thought it was notable that after several months of Democrats claiming the president is operating concentration camps along the southern border, con- operating concentration camps is not one of the articles of impeachment. Yeah. So maybe there are no concentration camps at the Southern, you know, actually I I put this on Twitter. I, I, I tweeted out remarkable. The Democrats are not impeaching the president for operating concentration camps. I guess they're okay with them, or maybe they made it all up. And several Democrats have responded. Well, it's comprehensive. They're going to impeach him on something as opposed to they've been lying to you. There is a stunning contrast in Washington today that that I think is is really amazing. Uh, the Democrats are actually going to hand the president significant legislative victories in the House of Representatives today. 
everyone's so focused on impeachment today in the press conference and the articles of impeachment. And uh, in fact, the Democrats are going to pass the USMCA, the revision with the Mexico-Canada, United States-Mexico-Canada agreement, and they're going to pass a paid family leave act that Ivanka Trump is one of. They're going to pass both of those things today while also impeaching the very same president who will sign those things into law. Will that make those measures illegitimate? Uh, they say this is an illegitimate president, and and yet they're they're treating him as if he's legitimate. Reminds me of the Democrats here in Georgia uh, treating Brian Kemp as some sort of illegitimate governor, and yet uh, they're they're trying to curry favor with him on all sorts of things around the state. So yes, uh, Democrats will be passing USMCA, and I, I got to tell you, reminds me of the Everett Dixon quote, uh, Everett Dirksen rather. Everett Dirksen was the Senate Republican leader. This is attributed to him by all sorts of people, but it has never actually been confirmed that he said it. It's one of my favorite quotes about American politics, though. Uh, there are two parties in Washington D.C.: the stupid party and the evil party. Every once in a while, the stupid party and the evil party get together, and they do something that is both stupid and evil. And that's what the press calls a bipartisan accomplishment. There are two parties in Washington, D.C., the stupid party and the evil party. Every once in a while, the stupid party and the evil party get together and they do something that is both stupid and evil. And that's what the press calls a bipartisan accomplishment. Or today they'll call it uh, the USMCA and the Paid Family Leave Act. I, I just I'm. I'm philosophically opposed to the federal government mandating paid family leave. I, I'm sorry. I know it makes me a heartless jerk, but I'm philosophically opposed to the federal government uh, mandating paid family leave. I think it is a uh, nanny state big government program that drives up the cost to companies that then impacts their not only bottom line, but their ability to hire people. But that's okay. I'm in the minority. I realize it. You know, when I was a political consultant and would run candidates for office, I would always uh, tell them, uh, know when you're, know when you think you're right and everyone else thinks you're wrong. Know when you're in the minority, uh, but you think you're right uh, and understand that. So I can take a position, understand I'm in the minority and still believe I'm right, but uh, that should put in perspective how I go about talking about it. Now, I'm not running for office, so I can just be blunt with you. I think it's a terrible idea and I realize I'm in the minority. Oh, we need to let the mommy stay home and raise the babies and then go back to work. Here's the problem, though. You're in a high-profile job. You're an executive at a company, and you take paid family leave, and uh, then you start complaining that they're bothering you at home. Well, you know what? You chose to be in a high executive position uh, and make yourself an indispensable person. Don't be surprised when your Fortune 500 company decides you actually are an indispensable person and continues to bother you while you're on paid family leave time, whether you're a mama or a daddy. I, I I saw somebody the other day complaining about this online um, that they were on it was actually it was a guy who was taking uh, spousal leave after a newborn and he was complaining uh, that his company called every day to check in his assistant was calling with things to get his feedback on and he was complaining that that he was on leave I'm sorry but you're the guy who wanted that promotion to get into that particular position uh, where you're now relied on by an entire company for your judgment on things and you you want to take uh, several months off with no communication with the office? You can't do that. Uh, no company can sustain itself that long if you do that. But I'm, I realize I'm in the minority and it makes me a bad guy, blah, blah, blah. When we come back, we need to talk about the Richard Jewell movie, please. It's getting all sorts of buzz out there, including from here in Georgia with the AJC. It is Eric Erickson here across the state of Georgia. I want to shift gears away from impeachment and the like. 
Uh, and we'll get back to that. We'll take your phone calls as well. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. But uh, I want to spend a moment on the Richard Jewell movie, and I, I want to be a little, uh, I, I, I want to be, exercise some discretion in how I talk about it, and, and I'll be up front and in full disclosure with you. Uh, I do an evening radio show on, on WSB in Atlanta, and it is owned by the Cox Media Group, and uh, our flagship station for this show as well is uh, WGAU in Athens, uh, where I'm, my show comes from to the rest of you. It is also owned by Cox, and the Atlanta Journal-Constitution is owned by Cox. Uh, so it is a, a sister uh, media outlet to the outlets that pay my bills. Uh, so I, I want you to know all of that as far as conflicts of interest, disclosure, and everything else going into this. Uh Clint Eastwood has a new movie coming out, Richard Jewell. It is about Richard Jewell, the hero of the 1996 Olympics. Uh, For those of you unfamiliar with the story, in 1996, a man planted a bomb at Centennial Olympic Park. And Richard Jewell was the uh, Eric Robert Rudolph. Is that it? He hid out in the mountains forever. He was captured in 2005. He'd also blown up an abortion clinic or some such, uh, killed an abortion doctor. Uh, But Richard Jewell was the security guard at Centennial Olympic Park uh, during the bombing. And he saw the, the backpack in which the bomb was and called it in and began getting people out of the area. I think one or two people were killed. A uh, number of people injured, but Richard Jewell was a certifiable, genuine hero. He saw the bomb, did exactly what his training called him to do, and got people out of the way. Now, Richard Jewell was not a police officer. He worked uh, as an independent contractor, I believe, through a security firm, and had idolized police and law enforcement, and uh, that became an issue. And there were some within the FBI and the media who suspected that Jewell had manufactured the bomb in order to uh, make himself a hero and to gain exposure and notoriety. And there were many news outlets that ran the details of what the FBI suspected, including at the AJC. And uh, the Richard Jewell wound up suing them all. The case against the AJC went on until Jewell ultimately died uh, of a heart condition. Uh, And a lot of his cases were dismissed, uh, including, I think, the AJC case wound up ultimately going nowhere for him. Um, But uh, he was ultimately vindicated and declared a hero by multiple outlets and people. He was redeemed. But in getting Richard Jewell to that point, it is flat out undeniable that media outlets savaged Richard Jewell's reputation. And frankly, I, I don't think it is disputed that local media outlets in Georgia also played a role in um, casting doubts on Richard Jewell. And reporters will tell you and they will argue until they're blue in the face that they weren't actually casting doubt on Richard Jewell, that the FBI uh, had suspicions about Jewell and they were just reporting that. Well, in the movie, uh, the Richard Jewell movie, uh, there is an AJC reporter who is featured. She's played by Olivia Wilde, uh, and the actual reporter is now deceased. Uh, 
And there is a suggestion that she had sexual relations with the FBI agent, and that's how she got uh, the information. Now, as it was originally uh, portrayed, and, and, and this is, again, uh, media outlets ran with this part of the story without having seen the movie. As it was originally portrayed, uh, or as it was originally suggested in some media outlets, the movie shows this reporter having sex with the FBI agent and the FBI agent uh, telling her that Richard Jewell uh, is the, the chief suspect, which she runs with, and it begins the spiraling out of control of what happened with Richard Jewell. Now, actually, what the movie shows, according to those who have now seen the movie, is that she suggests that they should sleep with each other, uh, but you don't actually see that on camera. It is is a suggestion made, and ironically, many of the media outlets that have gone just dialed it up to 11 on a 10-point scale of outrage over Clint Eastwood— uh, made their initial claims that Clint Eastwood is going to portray this reporter as sleeping with the FBI agent to get get uh, sourcing information. Uh, the movie, according to the Hollywood Reporter, uh, does not actually show that. The movie just uh, says uh, the, there's there's a suggestion that maybe this happened. That the reporter says when are we when are we going to sleep with each other, or have sex, or whatever. Uh, I'm trying to be delicate here there may be kids in the car with you uh or wherever you are listening but uh so it, it seems like some of the initial reporting from some of the initial news outlets got it wrong as to what the movie actually depicts uh, but there is a suggestion in the movie that maybe she did this i gotta tell you um the movie ends with a disclaimer the ajc the atlanta journal constitution and cox enterprises uh is demanding a disclaimer uh, to make it very clear that there is no evidence that their reporter slept with an FBI agent to get information. The movie actually has a disclaimer at the end of it that says uh, that there are uh, the, the the history is true. Uh, what the story depicted is true, but that there are certain things within the movie uh, that are not true, but or to make the movie. And that's not good enough for the AJC, understandably. So here, here's where I come down on this and why I think this is something that we, we all do need to pay some attention to. It is interesting to me to see the media out now demanding clarification, uh, demanding disclaimer, and demanding information that, that writes perceived wrongs about the Clint Eastwood movie that they haven't seen without seeing the movie, and it is much the same media that maligned, uh, indisputably maligned Richard Jewell. That being said, I don't think maligning a dead reporter to tell a story is the right thing to do. I don't think that uh, attacking this reporter and making it seem like she did sleep with an FBI agent to get uh, information is a good decision by um, by by Clint Eastwood. Uh, let me read you part of the the deadline reporting. Um, Marty Singer, who is a uh, lawyer representing uh, Cox Enterprise in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, um, sent a letter and said it is highly ironic that a film purporting to tell a tragic story of how the reputation of an FBI suspect was grievously tarnished appears bent on a path to severely tarnish the reputation of the AJC, a newspaper with a respected 150-year-old publishing legacy. 
fueled by controversy the past two weeks over the film's depiction of the Olivia Wilde portrayed Kathy Scruggs allegedly trading sex with an FBI agent for information that security guard Jewel was their lead suspect in the 1996 Atlanta Olympics bombing. The correspondence sent today makes no bones about the next step being defamation lawsuit in various jurisdictions against uh, against Clint Eastwood and Warner Brothers. Now, Warner Brothers is doubling down on this and saying they are prepared to fight this lawsuit against uh, filed by the AJC. Uh, they call it baseless. Uh, this is from also from Deadline. Uh, Warner Brothers is more than willing to take on the newspaper, according to this report. Um, a studio source confirmed a deadline that there has always been a disclaimer in the movie that reads the disclaimer at the end of the film is, uh, the film is based on actual historic events, dialogue, and certain events and characters contained in the film were created for the purpose of dramatization. The scene apparently in the movie by those who have seen it does not show that um, that Ms. Scruggs slept with an FBI agent, uh, but instead have her in conversation uh, with the FBI agent. Here's the the deadline paragraph here, relevant paragraph. While not explicitly showing anything, there is a scene in the film in which Wilde's character Scruggs basically asks an FBI source where they're going to have sex after getting insider information on the bombing investigation by the Bureau. What the media did to Richard Jewell was wrong. It was a feeding frenzy. And Clint Eastwood has been on a roll with a lot of movies um, of late. His his hero series, as some people are calling it, or anti-hero series, as some people are calling it, where he chronicles people who, are, I guess you could call him, uh, call them anti-heroes. Uh, Non-traditional heroes where... I mean, even the mule, uh, he, he plays, I mean, he plays real people. He plays uh, or people who are based on real people, like in the mule, um, uh, Earl Stone, he, he, he does American sniper. Um, he does, um, the trouble with the curve, uh, the, I mean, grand Torino. this, this history of movies where, He's been putting out these movies, just they're iconic movies. I mean, just just listen, listen to the, the last line of movies that he's done. Uh, these are, uh, it starts with American Sniper. And then there is Sully. And then there's the 1517 to Paris. And then there's The Mule. And now there's Richard Jewell. And he chronicles a number of people who... They have interesting stories, were oftentimes maligned in the press or were mischaracterized in the press or misunderstood by the press. And Clint Eastwood has sought to tell a compelling story that gets their story right. In Richard Jewell's case, it was, yes, the FBI was concerned about uh, Richard Jewell, and he, he fit a profile of someone who, because of his infatuation with the law enforcement, um, maybe, just maybe, he was a suspect. Now, in truth, the FBI treats everyone as a, as a suspect, and in truth, uh, the FBI uh, quickly dismissed him, but the media continued to portray him 
as a suspect. In October of 1996, uh, the U.S. attorney, Ken Alexander, uh, sent Richard Jewell a letter formally clearing him, stating that based on the evidence developed to date, Richard Jewell is not considered a target of the federal criminal investigation into the bombing on July 27, 1996 at Centennial Olympic Park. He was never charged. Uh, the FBI certainly searched his home. They questioned associates. They were ruling everyone out. And Jewel, because he found the bomb and fit a profile of someone who wanted media attention for being a hero, uh, fit the profile. But he was actually a hero. Here's the thing, though. I think Kevin Riley and the AJC have merit to their argument that you should not portray a journalist as sleeping with someone for sourcing information uh, just to sex up a movie. When you are essentially, in order to redeem Richard Jewell, maligning someone else unfairly. There's no evidence that she even suggested that uh, she and the FBI agents should sleep together. This is a real reporter. This is a real woman with a real family, and she is now dead too. She is no longer here to defend herself, and Richard Jewell is no longer here to defend himself. And I, I, I really do think it's bad form for this movie. And I see people saying, oh, it's really rich for, for the media to be coming after all this stuff. Look what they did to Richard Jewell. And, and I'm in that camp. But I also think it's really rich of a movie to try to defend and, and rehabilitate the, the character and honor of a man uh, in part by tearing down the character of someone else who was just doing her job as a reporter who in her reporting was actually covering that the FBI really did believe he was potentially the bomber. Richard Jewell got a terrible rap. He was so terribly maligned. He was uh, ostracized. He, he, he just, his life was ruined for a period of time. It was hard on him. It was hard on his mother. It was hard on his friends. But what about Kathy Scruggs? Who... Many people are going to watch the movie and they're going to say, oh, well, this is just a, a fictional character concocted to tell the story. No, she was a real person. She had a real family. She lost a battle with cancer. And I, I just, I wish that Clint Eastwood had chosen differently. Now, I, I don't think that the AJC suit can, I, I, there was a suggestion in conversation in a dramatization. I don't think they have a basis for the lawsuit, but I, I got to say, I understand their outrage over this. And I don't think that we need to play tit for tat. We don't need to say, well, they, they did it to Richard Jewell. It, it turnabout's fair play. No, turnabout's not fair play. This isn't grade school. This isn't kindergarten. Uh, I intend to see this movie. It is getting incredible reviews in, in early releases. It is a story that should be told. But I will go into it understanding that in redeeming Richard Jewell, they made a decision. Clint Eastwood made a decision uh, to sex it up a little bit uh, with a reporter, and it maligns the character of a woman who is now dead and can't defend herself. And there's going to be a little bit of irony in the movie uh, maligning someone to redeem someone who had himself been maligned. And I think that's unfortunate, and they could have done something differently. Uh, I have decided 
I am going to send out uh, a sugar cookie recipe. It's perfect in time for that. You've all got Christmas parties coming up. I sent out the the ginger cookie recipe, which I got great feedback on that one. I'm going to send out the sugar cookie recipe now, and it's easy to make, uh, and it's highly, highly addictive. I, I actually do need to warn you about this cookie recipe. Uh, my mother-in-law made them, and I think I ate them all in one sitting, like 24 cookies and got sick. They were that good. I know, and I'm fat, so I shouldn't have. Um, <laughs> it's a really good recipe. Um, so if you want the recipe, text the word recipe to three, three, seven, seven, seven. Uh, and I will send it out tomorrow. I got to find it. It's written on a note card and I got to type it out for you. I don't even have, so I keep a, I keep a program on my computer called paprika and it, it's an app on my phone and my laptop and my iPad. And it syncs all of my recipes together. It's a great cooking app. Um, by the way, someone asked me, uh, and I guess I need to do this, and I'll, I'll send it out on the recipe list, um, GIF recommendations uh, for people. I will tell you, it is expensive, but my latest and greatest toy in the kitchen uh, that I have enjoyed, and it's not really in the kitchen, it's on the back porch, that I thoroughly enjoy, and having had multiple different ones, uh, the Rock Box is a keeper. R O C C B O X. I'll I'll put a link in the recipe email. Text recipe to three three seven seven seven. It is an outdoor pizza oven and it is portable. It, it weighs a ton, but it is small. You can make a twelve inch pizza in it. Uh, th- this is all the latest craze. In fact, I was at Sur La Tabla at Phipps Plaza in Atlanta uh, on Saturday, and they had one in there. Uh, not a rock box, but a different little outdoor pizza oven. And they had a different variety at Williams Sonoma, and I have owned. Uh, one of those and they're crap. Um, they are, they don't retain heat. Well, it takes them. Uh, it doesn't, they don't heat up. Well, they don't retain heat. Well, the rock box is the best. Uh, it's actually made in England and you can get them at Williams Sonoma. Uh, in fact, I, I impressed Rick Perry, the secretary of energy so much with mine that he went out and bought one for him and his wife. Uh, and it, you, you can make a 12 inch Neapolitan style pizza in this oven. Uh, it gets, you can roast a chicken. I've roasted a chicken in this thing too. It gets up to 900 degrees Fahrenheit. I roasted a, chi- a whole chicken. You had to spatchcock it though, to fit it in because the opening isn't very high. That's where you cut out the backbone and you, and you flatten the chicken. Uh, I roasted one in this oven and it took maybe 30 minutes in this oven um, I didn't turn it all the way up to 900 degrees Fahrenheit, but I got it up pretty high. Uh, you stick the legs towards the back and, and the bone from the leg burns to a crisp. Um, but the rest of the chicken cooks just perfectly. It stayed juicy. It was moist. It was incredible. Uh, I've done pizza in it. Uh, I've cooked shrimp in it. I've cooked chicken in it. It's, it's great. It's called rock box R O C C B O X. Now it's like 500 bucks full disclosure. Um, but you can do, you can do either wood burning or gas, you know, with a Neapolitan pizza, uh, you're only allowed four ingredients, uh, flour, salt, water, uh, and yeast, flour, salt, water, yeast. Yep. That's it. Four ingredients for a Neapolitan pizza. That's all you're allowed to put in it. And it's got to be baked in less than two minutes with buffalo mozzarella and San Marzano tomatoes and basil in a wood burning oven that gets up to 900 degrees Fahrenheit. And you can do that in a rock box. You can get authentic Neapolitan style pizzas in the rock box. And in most of these other outdoor pizza oven things, you can't. Uh, I highly recommend it. If you're interested in out, if you want to add to an outdoor pizza, uh, outdoor kitchen, get the rock box. When we come back, Oh, we got to move on to Fox news, bringing in Bill Himmer to replace Shep Smith. It's time for me to tell you about my favorite toothbrush. Uh, Holiday season is approaching and you can get the quip. 
The Quip is actually, it's a great stocking stuffer. It's a great toothbrush. You know, I had one of those $100 Sonic vibrating toothbrushes and you had to take the charger with you. It, it was just, it was garbage. Uh, I didn't like it. The brush head was very small. You could not get the brush head on the toothbrush in the back of your mouth to actually clean uh, the, the back of your teeth. The Quip is designed by designers and dentists working together. You can totally tell. It's got sensitive Sonic vibrations and a timer with 30 second pulses to guide your routine. Uh, you got the Quip floss dispenser. It has pre-marked strings, so you can always use the right amount. Uh, you got the Quip sends you a new brush head every three months. They've got a great, 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 great toothbrush and now flossing as well. Just go to getquip.com slash Erickson to save on gift sets. Get your first brush head refill pack for free with a refill plan. So you get your first brush head refill for free at getquip, Q-U-I-P.com slash Erickson, getquip.com slash Erickson. It is a great toothbrush. It is the toothbrush that I have been using for multiple years. My wife and child use it as well. I really do recommend Quip. I really am a user, and I was before I started doing this commercial. That's why I really recommend it. GetQuip.com. Why, hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the state of Georgia. The phone number, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Inc.com is reporting this right now, happening now. If you have an Amazon Echo or Google Home, the FBI has some urgent advice for you uh the the temptation to get a machine to turn your lights on for you is very strong it makes you feel masterful and saves you from having to get up from the sofa there's a tiny catch about internet of things devices however they may not be entirely secure don't take my word for it for devices like amazon echo and google home are they're the subject of a tech warning from the fbi the fbi has released a slightly nerve affecting warning here's what the fbi says Digital assistants, smartwatches, fitness trackers, home security devices, thermostats, refrigerators, refrigerators. <laughs> I'm half Cajun, half Swedish. Don't blame me. Refrigerators and even light bulbs are all on the list. Add to that all the fun stuff. Remote controlled robots, games, gaming systems, interactive dolls, talking stuffed animals. The list seems endless. Hackers can use these innocent devices to do a virtual drive-by of your digital life. Unsecured devices can allow hackers a path into your router giving the bad guy access to everything else in your home network that you thought was secure. Are private pictures and passwords safely stored on your computer? Don't be so sure. Change the device's factory settings from the default password. A simple internet search should tell you how, and if you can't find that information, consider moving on to another product. Many connected devices are supported by mobile apps on your phone. These apps could be running in the background and using default permissions that you never realized you approved. Know what kind of personal information these apps are collecting and say no to privilege requests that make no sense. Secure your network. Your fridge and your laptop should not be on the same network. Keep the most your most private sensitive data on a separate system from your other IoT devices. IoT is Internet of Things. You know, I, I've been having this conversation with my friends uh, about the Internet of Things. The Internet of Things is the things in your house that are randomly connected to the Internet. And it seems like uh, there are um, groups out there now that try to find every which way to connect everything in your house to the Internet. So I have a Christmas present coming today. And of all things, it is a toaster oven. Those of you who know me understand that this this like gets in the Venn diagram of things. I'm interested. It is right smack in the center. It is called the June oven. 
And it is an oven that is an Internet of Things device. It is connected to the Internet, and it learns. It has a camera in the oven. So you put a bacon in the oven, and the camera recognizes you've put bacon in the oven. And so all you do is say you want it crispy or my son likes bacon that is grossly limp. When we go to Waffle House, he orders, seriously, he orders limp bacon. We used to order bacon that was floppy like a fish because that would be when he was little how he would describe how he liked it. And at Waffle House, they call that limp bacon. So you go to, you get limp bacon. I, I want the Viagra bacon. I want the bacon that that is hard and crispy and is is delicious. He wants the bacon that is is floppy and in need of, of Cialis or something. I, it just, limp bacon sounds gross. It is gross and he loves it. Uh, and he eats, he seriously, I'm not making this up. He eats three pieces of cold limp bacon every day at school. I love my son, but he is the, I was a picky eater when I was a kid. Seriously, I, we grew up in Dubai and we would travel abroad and my mother would keep Heinz ketchup in her purse. Our very first trip abroad, uh, we lived in Dubai and we went to Cyprus. We went to the island of Cyprus. My mother wanted to see where St. Paul had uh, been on the island and we went to the island. <laughs> Abby just heard the Viagra bacon. Seriously, though. Um, I mean the, the kid, uh, so we, we go to Cyprus. I am, I, I guess I'm five or six. We're on the Island of Cyprus and I won't eat anything because in Europe, those of you who've never been to Europe, they will oftentimes dilute ketchup with vinegar. And so it's a very, very, and I realize there's vinegar in ketchup, but it's like really vinegar. It's like tomato vinegar. It's disgusting. And I wouldn't eat, I wouldn't eat anything. I was starving on this Island. So my mother would have to carry Heinz ketchup everywhere we went. Uh, we went to a Chinese restaurant. The very first place I ever had sweet and sour shrimp was a Chinese restaurant on the Island of Cyprus. There is your worlds colliding. And I ate my sweet and sour shrimp with Heinz ketchup in this Chinese restaurant that we had befriended a taxi cab driver named George. And George lived with his sister. They were goat herders. They would make goat cheese. And George drove a taxi and he drove us all over the island where we could go because it was disputed, divided between the Turks and the uh, Cypriots. But anyway, uh, we had to get, we, George had to take us to the grocery store to get an unopened bottle of Heinz ketchup uh, so that I could eat on the island. And I am a picky, picky eater. My son, however, puts me to shame. He eats uh, floppy like a fish, limp bacon. He eats chicken nuggets. Uh, he'll eat home chicken nuggets. He'll eat chicken nuggets from Chick-fil-A. He'll eat chicken nuggets from not the Burger King by our house, but by another Burger King. And he'll eat chicken nuggets from McDonald's. He'll eat peanut butter and jelly toast. And he will eat pepperoni pizza, but he wants the pepperoni pulled off and he eats the pepperoni separate from the pizza. And cheese sticks from some restaurants, but not others. That's, that's about the extent of my son's diet. And our pediatrician says he'll he'll grow out of it. In fact, there's hope. Uh, he has just now begun uh, sampling cheeseburgers. And he has decided he likes the cheeseburger from Five Guys. But really, that's cover for the French fries. He wants the French fries from Five Guys. And I cannot believe I'm doing an entire monologue on Viagra bacon and my son's eating habits. But he wants floppy like a fish bacon. So anyway... In this June oven that I'm getting, it should be, it may actually be, there's a big box that FedEx has put. I, I have a window in my studio to, at home and I can see there's a box out. That may be it. Don't come by yet and, and rob me. Um, you can put in the bacon 
and say, hey, I, I, I want crispy bacon or I want limp bacon or, or, or non-crispy bacon, I think. And, and it'll do it. You don't even have to set the temperature or anything. You just push. The camera says, hey, are you got bacon? You say, yep. It says, do you want it crispy or do you want it floppy like a flesh, fish? And you you pop it in and, and it says, oh, you got five strips of bacon. And it'll cook five strips of bacon different from one strip of bacon. It's impressive. I can't wait for this thing. Uh, we, we, ha- we use a regular toaster in our house. My wife's been wanting a toaster oven and I just I couldn't find a good toaster oven and cook. Illustrated recommends the June oven as like its favorite toaster oven, smart or not smart. So I figure, hey, what the heck, I'll get it. It was on sale, uh, so I would get it. But it's an Internet of Things device, and so it connects uh, via Wi-Fi to June, and it constantly gets new updates. So every once in a while, you get a software update, and suddenly your June oven does new stuff, uh, which is kind of cool, actually. You can dehydrate stuff. It's now an air fryer as well. It does all sorts of stuff. But for I, I get the, the reason for an Internet of Things toaster oven, but why do you need your refrigerator connected to the internet? I think it's Samsung has an internet connected refrigerator. Why? Why does your oven need to be connected to the internet? Unless it's like this June thing and has a camera and it cooks itself or whatever you put in it. Uh, why, why does your, why does your oven need an internet of things device? Or have you heard about the ring doorbells? Many of you people have ring doorbells. And a hacking group has hacked into the Ring database and can see where all the Ring um, doorbells are now and can see the footage off the Ring doorbells and can listen to the, 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 the microphones or something. There was an article yesterday about uh, how the Ring microphones and the Ring cameras, they're sharing information with the police, whether you consent or not, if you use the Neighbors app. Uh, we've So I use, just, just let me cut to the chase and give you a solution on all of this. Uh, if you have an Apple device... Your Apple device, you don't have to worry about it. Siri is not listening to you like uh, your Amazon uh, Alexa or your um, Google HomePod. Uh, Apple, so Apple wanted to do home devices, Internet of Things devices. We've got light switches like the Philips Hue stuff in our house. Uh, so our lights turn on at sunset. Our Christmas, we got our Christmas lights on on Apple's HomeKit. Uh, so you can our our lights turn on and turn off. I can tell. To, I've got it called Holiday, so I can say, Hey Dingus, turn, I'm not going to say the other because it may activate your device. Hey Dingus, turn on the holidays, and all of a sudden the Christmas tree comes on, the wreath comes on, the the little dude outside, the Nutcracker guy, he starts banging in the drum and then the the inflatable teddy bear santa claus pops up out of the ground and inflates and and it's awesome and then i can say hey dingus turn off the holidays or i can set it on on remote i we've got it set up so in the morning when the alarm clock goes off siri knows turn on the lights downstairs start the coffee pot it's fantastic i love it but I wouldn't do it with Alexa or, or, or with Google because they're not secure. Uh, the reason I use the Apple HomeKit stuff is that it's very secure and it's a pain in the butt to get the devices installed, unlike the other devices, because there's an extra security layer so hackers can't get in and start controlling your lights. And most people don't realize that it, it, unless you're using Apple's HomeKit uh, with the, with the, the extra security layer, every HomeKit device has a, That's why Apple is slow rolling this stuff out. Because every HomeKit device has a little chip in it for security. Uh, the other stuff doesn't, uh, which is why there's so much more of it. It's l- it's less expensive. It's easier to get set up. It's easier to use. But it's also way less secure. And hackers are hacking into this stuff. So if you got Internet of Things devices, be I just... I have no idea why we need Internet of Things devices. I There was an article, y'all, maybe I shouldn't be talking about this one. 
there was an article in what is that website? Not in Gadget. Uh, what's the the unserious for Gizmodo? Gizmodo. Gizmodo. Uh, Gizmodo is it, was owned by the Gawker people. I forget who owns it now. Huffington Post or some such. Um, but they were talking about uh, an internet connected. Um, pleasuring device let's just leave it like that uh we've already referenced viagra bacon so we can we'll just we'll just say it was an internet connected device uh for for pleasure i don't know why i i I don't understand what if the hackers hacked that you could get electrocuted and somebody's gonna find your body and say how'd that person die died of a good time i guess i i just well idea i mean people want to put the internet in everything today i'm turning red faced and i haven't said anything that should embarrass me have i i it's just I, I don't understand this and so now the fbi if you're wondering what this is all around about securitist way of ta- referencing the fbi has come out with this warning today uh saying increasingly hackers are hacking people's stuff and you don't even know it they're surveilling you now to bring this full circle and to have something that's more grown up and less embarrassing this goes to the New York Times story that, you know, it, so there are two stories. The New York Times story on uh, kids being put into um, compromising positions through the Internet. And there's the Washington Post story about the Afghanistan papers revealing the amount of lying that's gone on in the Pentagon across multiple administrations about Afghanistan. And, and the impeachment stuff is just going to bury both of those stories out of the headlines. Uh, but to put this Internet of Things story and this FBI warning that's come out today in proper perspective, consider this, people. Seriously, grown-up story here. I had to have this discussion with my 11-year-old yesterday because he's big on Fortnite. There are people who are hacking the cameras in your PlayStations and Xboxes, in your tablet devices, non-Apple tablets. Very hard to – there's a uh, – again, Apple is big on building their own devices because they put in physical chips uh, and it makes it very hard to turn on remotely the camera in your iPad. Uh, but if you've got a, an Android tablet or an Android phone, uh, hackers have figured out easy ways to hack into those and activate the cameras on your laptops and your tablets, on your games. And the New York Times had this very serious story over the weekend about people reaching out to kids through Fortnite, through Minecraft, and through other things and saying, I've got compromising pictures of you. I hacked your camera. And I know who your friends are on uh, your your device. And I'm going to send your friends all of these embarrassing pictures of you unless you send me naked photos of yourself. And thankfully, in some cases, the parents figured out what was going on and and caught it before the kids decided to do that. But there were several cases where kids had essentially descended into an abusive relationship with an anonymous person over the Internet uh, because those people had either hacked devices and were spying on the kids or more commonly, what is most common, is they befriended the kids in these first-person shooter games that are played over the Internet, built up trust with the kid, and then started making claims to the kid uh, that they had hacked. And, And in some cases, they hadn't, and in a couple of cases, I believe they had hack devices in most cases they hadn't but they had built up trust with the kid and then turned on the kid and the kid really did believe him when they said they had these incriminating pictures and they were going to embarrass them with their friends and whatnot it is a dangerous thing and increasingly we're seeing unscrupulous people get into these devices and hack these devices and you do need to be careful 
Now, let me let me close this out with this point. Many of you, like me, probably, if you are in the least bit tech savvy, have probably purchased some of these for your elderly parents because you recognize the convenience of your parent being able to say, hey, dingus, turn on my lights or hey, dingus, call my daughter because I fallen on the floor or something. You need to make sure their devices are secure because they're going to get hacked, their information is going to get compromised, and the hacker is going to know they're old and they're not going to come through their Amazon device or their Google device. They're going to come through the phone and they're going to pretend they know the person and they're going to raid that person's bank account. And so get serious and understand if you have these internet devices in your house, if you're getting them for Christmas, be mindful of this. I was at the bank the other day and they were like, no, this is a little, a while back. I, I was at the bank and there was an elderly woman in there whose grandson had taken all of her money out of her checking account without her permission. And it was the woman's preacher there with her demanding the bank make her right. And that's happening within a family, and it happens every day across this country. Elder abuse, kids taking advantage of, of older parents and grandparents, and it's increasingly happening with these Internet of Things devices. I'm not telling you they're bad and that you shouldn't take them out of your house. I would be a hypocrite if I did because i got a lot of them in my house. But just be mindful that they're there and the capabilities that a stranger can get a hold of them and use. And also, eat crispy bacon. Don't, don't eat limp bacon. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Charlie says, I was too rambling and didn't get to the point in the last monologue, and I should apologize to everyone for wasting your time to wait for the end of the monologue to tie it all together and get to the point. You know, most people are their own chief critic. Uh, Not with me. Nope, nope. I've got my wife and Charlie to keep me humble. (laughs) Now he's going to text me angrily. (laughs) I have to give him a hard time to keep him humble. My buddy Dan McLaughlin, baseball crank on Twitter, writes for National Review, and he's got a series of tweets I want to read for you very quickly. Uh, I can't read that text. I, I can't read that text now. He's dropping bad words at me. I never said that. He says, whatever. Okay. Dan McLaughlin writes... Legal merits aside, spending years accusing Donald Trump of treason, bribery, and conclusion, and then impeaching him for none of those things, but including an article on obstruction of Congress as one of the two charges, seems like disastrously inside Beltway politics. I do not see how abuse of power and obstruction of Congress is a better idea for selling this to the public than abuse of power. But then several of the articles against Andrew Johnson never even came to a vote once the strongest charge failed. The obstruction count does not include any charge of perjury, witness tampering, anything like that. It's literally just you refuse to cooperate with our investigation of you. Knowing you lack the votes of the Senate, why include this? Who is the man in the street audience? Let's face it, a lot of people feel that Trump was elected basically to give Congress the finger and Trump has no obligation to help anybody investigate him. I don't endorse those sentiments, but this is not the hill to die on. If I was a Democrat, I'd likely support impeaching Trump precisely because impeachment under these circumstances is an exercise in political messaging. The House can, if it likes, use impeachment to make a case of presidential unfitness ahead of an election, but then sell it. 
Not one vote is going to change to Trump's detriment next November by accusing Trump of refusing to help Congress remove him from office. I just don't see the political rationale. Uh, you know, it, it's he's right. The fact that they dodged the Mueller situation altogether, the fact that they still have left hanging the issue of who the um, who the the whistleblower is, it's actually pretty telling, pretty staggering. This really is about setting the stage for November. It is not about actually getting the president out of office. If it was getting the president out of office, they would actually impeach him for all the things they've spent the last several months complaining about, bribery, witness tampering, and the like. None of that is in the impeachment articles. None of that is. The president has largely been his own worst enemy and has been protected by a great many people around him who did not do what he wanted them to do. But there is one other thing as well. The president of the United States also has the Democrats on the other side, and they keep screwing things up. The president is blessed by enemies as incompetent as the Democrats when it comes to stuff like this. Uh, it makes no sense that they've done what they've done. Uh, it really doesn't, and yet that's the road they're going to go down. Uh, all these irons in the fire all of a sudden. Um, welcome back. <laughs> Sorry, um, I, I'm, I'm having to respond to a kind of time-sensitive email all of a sudden. Uh, the phone number here, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Uh, I, I, you know what? No, no. You do need to know that Stacey Abrams has just declared that she would be willing to be the vice presidential nominee, that it would not uh, quash her ambitions. You know, being a, a, a Georgia show for people in Georgia, broadcasting from Georgia, uh, let, let me spend just a moment on this with Stacey Abrams. And I haven't wanted to talk about Abrams uh, a lot. There there have been stories out there, a lot of people attacking her, for example, over a film deal she got. God bless her for it. Uh, I have, you know, she's a novelist. She's an accomplished novelist, actually. It may not be my cup of tea or yours. But she's had success in, in novels, and, and some of those now are possibly going to be adapted into movies. I would say, inarguably, it is because of her uh, notoriety now as a candidate, uh, whether she won or lost as a candidate for office, who galvanized people on the left, a lot of whom are in Hollywood. But God bless her for making a living with it. I don't fault her for that at all. I, I see conservatives blowing up uh, Barack Obama, saying he's somewhat hypocritical for buying a multi-million dollar house on uh, Martha's Island. Uh, God bless him for it. He, he's made a lot of money. Enjoy it now. He's no longer president of the United States. You can you can stop hating him. You can say he blew up millionaires and billionaires and, and blasted people for getting rich off uh, office. Uh, he got rich off book deals and, and TV deals and Netflix. And you may not like it. You, you may think it's hypocritical, but I don't care. I, I just, I got too much time. I got not enough time of the day to be outraged by everything. Uh, I, I, I applaud everyone being successful. It is one more person who is going to stand up to Elizabeth Warren once they're successful, knowing Elizabeth Warren's going to come get them in their money. And in fact, Barack Obama has now been coming out and said, hey, I don't think we need to go down this road. Good for him. Uh, if Stacey Abrams wants to make money, God bless her. I, I got to tell you, and I, I continue to maintain this. Stacey, you, I know everyone gets mad at me. I've been asked not to say this on radio. 
I really have. Uh, I, I I had a friend of mine say, I shouldn't say this on radio. It could be harmful for my career as a conservative talk show host to say this. But I, I tend to like most people, even when I disagree with them. And I thought that I interviewed every single person running for governor of Georgia, Democrat and Republican. I interviewed every single one of them. I interviewed uh, Brian Kemp, uh, Michael Williams, Casey Cagle, Hunter Hill, Stacey Evans, Stacey Abrams. Who else was running for governor? There, there were other people running for governor, it seems like. In any event, I interviewed them all. And my two favorite interviews were Brian Kemp and Stacey Abrams. The reason that I liked Brian Kemp's interview when I interviewed him, they were, they were hour-long interviews for each of them. The reason I liked Brian Kemp, this was actually the first interview, is Brian Kemp just did not care. And I liked that. Now, I, 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 I maybe I shouldn't put it that way. Um, he was just laid back. Uh, he was he was there to run for governor, but he was going to tell you what what he thought. Matter of factly, he was just going to tell you. He came in 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 jeans and boots, wore a, a dress shirt and a, and a and a blazer, but jeans and boots. Uh, most everybody else came in, in in suits, and most everybody else sat on the edge of their chair as if that I was going to ask them the most game changing question. He just laid back in the chair. Uh, kicked out his legs and we had a great conversation and just about life and, and politics and policies and who he was and where he came from. And he was just, he was a genuine human being. And I like those sorts of politicians. Those are increasingly unique in American life. You need to understand that, uh, that in American politics these days, people who are politicians tend to have come from birth in a three-piece suit, uh, ready to answer all of your questions as nebulously as possible, lest they be forced to take a position on something. Not Brian Kemp. He came out. Here's what he believed. You don't like it. We can be friends. We're just going to disagree on this. Stacey Abrams was very much the same way. She came in to a conservative talk show host with a reputation of being a conservative political activist who she knew was never going to vote for her and sat down and we had a fantastic conversation about her growing up, about her life. And here's the thing that I have continued to appreciate about her. And it is the thing that is consistent about her. And I know it pains people to hear me say something nice about Stacey Abrams. She's funny. She can laugh at herself. It is one thing for a politician in America to be able to laugh at someone else. It is a rare politician to be able to laugh at themselves. You would be surprised at the number of politicians who will not make a joke at their own expense. And she made lots of jokes at her expense, and I found it endearing because I've been around enough politicians and have done enough interviews over uh, the last 20 years that I can tell when someone really believes what they're saying and is authentic about it and is willing to open up and be vulnerable in public. And she was, and Brian Kemp was, and, and they were unique in that regard. Uh, they were willing to crack jokes on themselves. They were willing to be open. They were willing to be vulnerable. They, they were willing to uh, say they didn't have all the answers. That was another thing that struck me. Uh, comparing, and I, I don't want to go into, in, into attacking other candidates, but, but I interviewed other candidates, uh, Democrat and Republican, who could not bring themselves to utter three words. Those three words were, I don't know. Abrams and Kemp were willing to. And I find it refreshing when a candidate, whether I agree with them or not, is willing to say, you know what? I don't have all the answers. Now, 
as to the answer she had. She and I, we disagreed on all sorts of stuff. We, we found common ground on issues. And, and this is the thing that I find more and more. And this is why I, I'm, I'm very, very hesitant to ever call someone on the other side an enemy. They're just an opponent. There were a number of situations where she and I could look at a situation and say, objectively, this situation is bad, but we had different solutions. Her solution always involved the government, and oftentimes my solution would be, leave it alone. It's a problem, but there's nothing the government should do about it. One of those issues is one of the the latest concerns of Democrats nationwide is what they call a food desert. It is yet another moral crisis. And the Democrats have gotten really good at everything is a moral crisis. Climate change is a moral crisis. Income inequality is a moral crisis. Uh, prison population is a moral crisis. Everything's a moral crisis. Food deserts are more moral crisis. You wonder, what is a food desert? It is a, a grocery store with sand? No. A food desert is where you live somewhere in Georgia and you have to drive a significant... Uh, distance to get to a grocery store or your access to fresh food is limited. That is a food desert. And there are food deserts in Metro Atlanta, Georgia, uh, around the old Turner field that is now Georgia state. Uh, it is a walled in isolated, uh, expanse of interstate and projects. And there is not a grocery store anywhere near there. And if you are poor and of limited mobility because of your lack of access to transportation, uh, you have a hard time going to anywhere other than the local Dairy Queen or Wendy's to get food, and that's not healthy. You have no access to fresh vegetables. Uh, the local corner grocery stores that you depend on don't have fresh vegetables. They have processed foods. And believe it or not, uh, the scientific evidence does show that that eating on the perimeter of the grocery store, the fresh fruits and vegetables, the fresh meats and the dairy is better for you than the processed foods. But you go to the little corner grocery store, you're going to get lots of processed foods, and maybe there's some milk that's not expired. That is a food desert. You move to rural Georgia. You may have an Ingalls 30 minutes away from you, and that's the best you can do. Now, Stacey Abrams, uh, you know what? I, I want to be hesitant because it's been a long time since we had the interview. But essentially, but essentially, um, several Democrats have proposed either we've got to increase funding for rural transportation to get people to grocery stores, or we need to economically incentivize grocery stores moving into certain areas so people have access to it. That is a Democratic solution. I don't want to put words in Stacey Abrams' mouth. I think that was that was one of hers was expanding transport in rural Georgia, uh, spending government money to expand transport in rural Georgia. What is my solution? My solution is a cons- as a conservative is yes. This is a problem, and believe it or not, there are long-term health impacts of people eating lots of processed food and no fresh food and not having access to it. But you know what? People make a choice to live in a rural area, and I see no reason that the government needs to get involved with uh, taxpayer dollars to set up transportation systems that you may or may not use to get thee to the grocery store. And if anything, uh, by setting up a system where you are relying on the government to transport you to a grocery store for you to do your grocery shopping, you are increasingly then unreliant on family, friends, church, and local community. And I personally think 
as a conservative, one of the worst things our government has ever done in history is, uh, in, in terms of societal impact overall, is to uh, decrease people's dependence on local community structures, be they churches, civic groups, family, friends. You can now live your entire life uh, suckling Uncle Sam's man boob and never have to rely on family, friends, or church again. And if that paints a horrible picture in your mind and you're going to have nightmares over it, I apologize, but it's the truth. We have way too many people who have become dependent on government in rural and urban areas. And as a result, we're seeing community breakdown because no one needs to be dependent on their community anymore. If everyone's dependent on Uncle Sam or the state of Georgia's taxpayer dollars to improve their existence, then they have no incentive to build a church community or a local civic community that replaces a church community or keep their family close or incentivize their family to play a part in their lives. We got a bunch of people who live in rural Georgia where their kids and relatives relatives have packed up and left and they have no network of friends or anyone else. They've become unplugged from church and are they hurting? Yes. But the solution is not to have the government nanny come check on them and drive them to the grocery store. The solution is to help them build relationships within their local community, incentivize that. Frankly, it's not even the government's role to do that. It's the role of local churches. But local churches have no incentive to do that because the government's already competing. So I, all of this is to say that, that Stacey Abrams and I, we can look at different issues and we can we can share a concern for the issue. But because she's on the left and I'm on the right, we arrive at different issues. We arrive at different solutions. I would not vote for her. She would not vote for me. But that does not mean I can look at her and, and, and think that she's the enemy. No, she's just a political opponent. She and I disagree. Uh, I, I think that her policies would be harmful to the state of Georgia. She thinks my policies are harmful to the state of Georgia, but we can break bread together. And when we don't talk politics, uh, enjoy each other's company. I would hope uh, we, we did on stage. We had a great conversation and it was great to have someone who can laugh about themselves and uh, the silly things their parents have done. Well, she's given this interview now and she has said that uh, she would be perfectly happy to be a vice presidential pick. Um, that she would not diminish her ambitions overall to be a vice presidential pick. I got to tell you, I have a hard time believing that anyone on the Democratic side would pick Stacey Abrams to be the vice president. Now, maybe if, if they want a wild card sensation, yes. But let, let's put this in perspective. And again, I don't mean disrespect here. And no, none of, nobody get offended on the left now who might be listening. But Stacey Abrams was elected a, to a state house seat in Georgia and nothing else. Mike Pence has a deeper resume than Stacey Abrams when it comes to qualifications to be vice president. Tim Kaine on the Democratic side did. Joe Biden did. Uh, John Edwards did with, with John Kerry. Al Gore did with Bill Clinton. George H.W. Bush was probably the most qualified president and vice president in American history. Dick Cheney with George W. Bush had also was also uh, highly qualified to be vice president. He had been a member of Congress. He had been a defense secretary. He had been a CEO of a major Fortune 500 corporation. Stacey Abrams rose to be a, a minority leader, in a House of Representatives representing a small area of Georgia. That does not qualify one to be vice president. If you are to be vice president of the United States, the chief 
criteria for your job is that if the president kills over dead tomorrow, you could become president of the United States. In terms of rallying the base, perhaps Stacey Abrams is a legit pick. But in terms of persuading independent voters that you've made a reasonable pick who could become president of the United States, I don't know that that's the case. And then frankly, there is a liability issue on the uh, Stacey Abrams front for Democrats, and that is that she has taken some very progressive positions, including allowing illegal aliens to vote and things like that. And that, I think, would actually hurt the Democrats on the campaign trail when that stuff came out. There was a lot of opposition research that Brian Kemp did not use on Stacey Abrams that if she were the vice presidential pick would come out. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I do ultimately think that Stacey Abrams benefits by having this buzz about her because she very much wants a do-over. Whether she was or not, and I don't think she was, there there was no voter suppression. In fact, I see people railing on this article uh, where she says this, uh, Jonathan Capehart from the Washington Post, saying, well, she can't win in Georgia. We need a vice president who can win. She can't win in Georgia because they'd suppress the vote in Georgia again. The, the, the mythology on the Democratic side that Stacey Abrams lost because of voter suppression as opposed to she just lost because there are more Republicans who turned out and voted for Brian Kemp. They really believe this. Even PolitiFact has come out and said there's no evidence of voter suppression. There's no evidence. Of, uh, in fact, there was a record black turnout in Georgia. There just have to be a lot of Republicans who voted, too. Uh, but if they if she was to become the vice presidential pick for the Democrats, there would be a vetting. And I don't know that it would go well, ultimately, because of her positions. And I, again, I got to tell you, you and Stacey Abrams and I, we can disagree on all sorts of stuff. And I think the Democrats would be making a mistake if she were the vice presidential pick, but I think the buzz helps her because she really wants to run against Brian Kemp again. She really does think that the race was stolen from her, even though I don't think it was. Um, but you can you can say all that. You can take that position. You can ultimately arrive at, you know, I disagree with this person, but she's actually a likable person. And I know it's heresy in this day and age to say stuff like that, but I continue to believe I got to say stuff like that because I got to remind you that just because you disagree with someone on politics in this country does not make that person your enemy. It may make them your next door neighbor who you just don't know what their political views are because you're much more interested in cheering on the Braves together, which if Stacey Abrams were Vice president, we would have a vice president who cheered on the Braves. Oof, how is impeachment playing over at CNN? This is Ross Garber, CNN's legal analyst on impeachment. Ukrainian officials to American officials, and, and he's overstepped his bounds, including through tweets in the past week. Um, so you know, that conduct is not okay, and it's part of why I've been critical of what the Democrats have tried to do here. This is, I, I think, we're seeing not a real effort to remove the president. You know, the, the Democrats, you know, are, are moving these articles through. They know it has little or no shot uh, of going anywhere in the Senate. And, and you know, as, as you uh, probably remember, you know, for weeks or months, I've been saying, look, you know, take a look at the actual issues here. Do a real investigation. And, and, and this notion by Schiff that he didn't have time to go to court you know, I think is just nonsense. Um, you know, the, one of the reasons why the McGahn case has taken eight months to play out is that uh, the House didn't go to court right away. They issued the subpoena. They waited a long time to try to enforce it. They waited a long time to try to go to court. And, and so instead, we do have this rushed impeachment process, which is looking like a, you know, fast train to acquittal in the Senate. <laughs> yeah, fast train to acquittal in the Senate. They, the Democrats themselves, dragged their feet on this. We haven't heard from John Bolton, who said he was willing to testify if a judge gave the okay, and the Democrats did not pursue that in court. 
They didn't go after uh, getting Russ' vote from Office of Management and Budget, Budget to testify. They didn't go after Mick Mulvaney to get him to testify. Uh, th- there were so many people the Democrats did not get to testify. Nor have we heard from the whistleblower. And, and again, I, I realize Democrats say there's no reason to hear from the whistleblower, but it was the Democrats themselves who said we were going to hear from the whistleblower. And then the news came out that the whistleblower had coordinated with Adam Schiff's office. And they don't want that guy to be under oath answering how long he coordinated, why he coordinated, and what he coordinated about. That, that's why they're not calling the whistleblower. Uh, it has nothing to do with him being revealed or not. That there is, uh, we, we now pretty much know who the whistleblower is, uh, but also there's no protection in the whistleblower statute from being identified. And the Democrats were adamant, adamant that we would hear from the whistleblower, that that whistleblower, too, would appear in the secure room. No one would know who the whistleblower was. They they would be able to do it. Republicans would be there, all of that. And then suddenly it came out that the whistleblower had coordinated with the Democrats. And then all of a sudden, no, we don't need to hear from the whistleblower. Well, of course not, because uh, they don't want that under, uh, they don't want him under oath answering Republican questions. Now, how's this playing out there? This is from MSNBC. Hey there, Hallie. Exactly. So perhaps unsurprising after all these months of being at rallies and talking to the president's fiercest supporters who maintain that the president did nothing wrong. We caught up with them right after that press conference you referenced earlier and talked to them about their feelings of these two articles of impeachment. Folks basically were defiant and dismissed them, which is something we've heard time and time again. But the overarching theme has to do with exactly the reason we're here today in Hershey, and that is because of the president's reelection campaign. These supporters actually believe that the impeachment headlines from today will only harden his support heading into 2020. Take a listen to what a few of them told us ahead of the president's rally tonight. They've been digging at this even before he was elected. So I think they're just uh, grabbing for straws that aren't there. You can see how upset I am. I'm telling you right now, there are people out here that are so enraged. We are so fed up. And so, of course, we're going to be stronger even coming back to vote for President Trump again. Now, you know, here's here's the political fallout. Uh, Progressives have been rallying consistently against the president. But a lot of Republicans were stepping back away, pulled out of politics. And I suspect we're going to see them fired up again for the president in a way they have not previously been. And I don't think that that's going to work the way the Democrats want, particularly when the president has a massive war chest to go after the Democrats and they don't have the money to go after him. They're fighting each other right now.